All great stuff, especially when you're innovating, doesn't happen right away. You have to do the tough stuff and as well as the enjoyable stuff. And I don't think of myself as a boss. While you're on the journey, you have to disconnect from the end goal. You know, Scott, man, I'm working on my dream. That's my job. Hey everyone, it's Max Park Homenko, and you're welcome to a new episode of Explore Mode Podcast. In this show, I interview people who are creating a future of fashion technology, and I extract their strategies to grow in a business, no matter what they'd be. It could be wearables, smart clothing, digital media, platforms, AI, you name them. My today's guest is Markian Matze. He is a co-founder of Sandstone, a smart jewelry startup that creates a pendant which translates your speech into a text without any fuss. It's actually a really easy way to capture your thoughts on the go and uh, you should check out their site, sandstone.io. The thing is, Sandstone made headlines by collecting a needed sum in less than 48 hours at Kickstarter crowdfunding platform, which is kind of big deal traction. Exactly in that moment I understood that I wanted to know how did they do it. And in this episode we are talking heavy on validation and promotion techniques that Sandstone used prior launching a Kickstarter campaign. This can be valuable for lots of young startups and entrepreneurs out there who are planning to embark on such an activity. Also we covered the early days of marketing and working with wearables. We talked about the transition to running own business. Markian is a self-improvement guy, so he shared lots of interesting books that help him make decisions the right way. As for me, it is the most action-packed episode of Explore Mode podcast where you can take the knowledge and apply it right away for your own good. So let's finally get to the part one of my interview with Markian. And I hope you enjoy it. Mark Young, welcome to the show and let's start exploring. Mind telling about the journey you had prior Sandstone? Yes, of course. Uh, it was a long way. Um, uh, I started off as an engineer first uh, at a company called uh, Alex. And um, uh, then after two years of that, uh, when I did a very, very complex project with very, very smart people, I realized that engineering probably not my thing. Uh, then um, then I went into R&D at the same company. And uh, my task was to find mobile technology which can uh, have great business use cases and try to find clients with uh, these kind of technologies. Uh, and uh, while researching mobile technology, I stumbled upon wearable technology, which for me was sort of the next step of mobile tech. Uh, and um, uh, I did work a lot with wearables, especially with smartwatches. Mm -hmm. uh, first, uh, there was a lot of work with Google Glass. Uh, just once it was out, there was so much noise and was so many, so much potential for business uh, to change the way people work or change the way people live. Back then it still wasn't a fad and there was a lot of hope to do something cool with it. So we did a couple of projects. We were, yeah, yeah. So it was, I was so excited. I remember first time I got a Google Glass, it was like completely new experience. When was and that? then it was summer, I think 2013 or maybe 14, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the first time 
I uh, went uh, out on the street with Google Glass. Everybody was looking <laughs> at me and pointing. Uh, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people looked at me like like a weirdo. Uh, that was fine. Uh, the, and uh, a lot of people took pictures with me or took pictures with Google Glass. I still have those pictures on Google Glass. Sometimes I look at them. It's just uh, a lot of fun. So yeah. Google Glass was a big step. Uh, then uh, when it, we started realizing that it's going nowhere, uh, we um, we started looking at smartwatches because um, there was something going on, on there. First there was mm -hmm. Pebble, which, was, uh, which had some noise, but then when Google announced Android Wear, uh, that's where we started looking into it in more detail. And then when Apple announced Apple mm -hmm. Watch, uh, we did... Um, uh, thing called uh, uh, Apple Watch Tesla uh, application. Uh, uh -huh. So we we hacked uh, Tesla and Apple Watch uh, to to control Tesla uh, from the Apple Watch, but basic control, not driving. There was like lights, air conditioning, mileage, things like that. Got it. Got but it. that uh, uh, that thing got viral. We got so many uh, views, media, Mashable. Uh, Wired, uh, uh, The Verge writing about us, Business Insider, they got a lot of attention because that was the first uh, Apple Watch application for connected cars and one of the first apps uh, at all. And, so you were um, like pioneering this uh, new way for, for smartwatches yeah, that time. Exactly. Yes. So we were trying to find some apps for smartwatches which would make sense for either end consumers or businesses or for anyone to uh, to, to start this off. Because we had quite a lot of experience uh, with smartwatches before we did a lot of experiments, so it makes sense for us. Got it. Mind talking about your switch into a new business, what were the reasons behind it? So it was the right time, uh, I think, in my life to switch because... Um, there was a number of reasons. Um, um, I uh, was really, really passionate about the entrepreneurship lifestyle. I really wanted to do something uh, more, um, which would. <clears throat> uh, ooh, that's, that's a long answer. <laughs> um, so um, uh, I wanted to build something sustainable. I wanted to build something that would uh, change the world in a way, uh, in a better way, uh, definitely. I wanted something that would uh, have an impact on uh, numerous people's lives. Then I also wanted to build something of my own. And I should say, uh, at Alex, with the wearables, I did a lot of things that I felt like was my own. There was a lot of freedom in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, that was mostly R&D projects. R&D and uh, like uh, product uh, doing the thing, it's very, very different. R&D is usually one month uh, in, in that sort of thing and uh, building one thing takes years. So uh, that uh, then there's that. Um, then there's the fact that I'm very, very passionate about uh, Ukrainian startup ecosystem. I really, really want to grow, uh, want Ukraine to have a huge startup powerhouse, to have uh, big, great companies, growing companies uh, inside Ukraine yeah. uh, and uh, <clears throat> global companies with, with uh, global sales, all of it coming back to Ukraine. Yeah, so natural think, ambitions. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of ambition. And on top of all that, uh, I did a huge uh, sale uh, at Alex, mm -hmm. which got me uh, some uh, starting funds to uh, start a startup. 
And uh, that's that's what is just like a trigger for me to do something smart with that money and not just waste it all. Yeah, that's a wise choice, definitely. So you're kind of, of a self-improvement guy, right? I uh, saw on Facebook that you share the books you read. And can you share some uh, books that you think startups should definitely read when they are only starting out? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so while most people would probably recommend Lean Startup, I think one that reflects best the startup life is uh, Hard Thing About the Hard Things. Love this book, definitely. There's um, another one like Peter Thiel from Zero to One. Uh, it's a good one as well from the same category. Yeah, it, it, it is different. Um, the, the reason I like Horowitz is, uh, uh, and, and the Hard Things it's it's so real uh it's uh it's tell it's been told from a story perspective uh P peter thiel's book is more like notes on life uh -huh. and startups so mm -hmm. that's how it's called and uh and recent uh, uh well sorry um ben horowitz's book is written as a personal story yeah and you get to feel how ugly startup life can sometimes be when you need to fire your friends uh or when they have families and when mm -hmm. people are leaving and uh, you have no money so that just uh, gives you an idea of uh, things beyond romantic in startup life. So I would recommend reading uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany. Oh, the good ones are um, Habit, mm, how's it called? Um, Hooked. Hooked uh, by Nir Eyal. Very good one. Love it. It's quite interesting that this one, Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt, he is evangelizing it because. Uh -huh. This book exactly helped him to build a habit product which people use every day. Funny, I didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, those books are very good about uh, consumer mindset, uh, understanding customers. I think that's the, the most important thing, uh, developing empathy. Um, there's much more material about that. And also a good one is um, Contagious. Uh, about uh, viral uh, products and viral marketing. And uh, as for marketing itself, I would recommend a book called Traction. Uh, there's, I think, 18 uh, uh, marketing channels which the author covers, which gives a great idea on uh, how to reach customers. Because then there's first, like building the right thing, there is also uh, marketing the right thing, which should go in parallel. Or maybe marketing should even go first. While I was preparing for this interview, I gave a look into the smart jewelry hot lists and every time I stumbled upon Sandstone. It's quite amazing that you have such big competitors like Tory Burch, Fitbit, even Michael Kors. So how does it feel to be creating a new category in which you're positioned to become a leader one day? How do I feel about it? First, we haven't created it yet, I think. Uh, we haven't done enough job. Uh, it will be created once there is a big enough market and once there are people uh, whose lives are changed because of that. Currently, we have a lot of interest. We have a lot of hype. Uh, we haven't had real uh, life-changing um, product out there yet. That's our goal. Uh, we want people to use Samsung every day and to uh, forget what it was like uh, without it. Uh, but we're not there yet. So this is important to realize, important to note. Mm, but I feel hugely excited about the perspective of doing that. That was one of my goals, uh, one of my ambitions, um, to actually change people's lives for better. Um, and uh, 
I think being able to find uh, a niche or a use case uh, or a problem which might be solved with technology and uh, when you're inside and you're doing that and you're it's like it's in your hands to change that I think that's a uh, luck uh, I'm very grateful just for the stars to come this way uh, to be able to dedicate yourself to something important that you think is important uh, so I am excited to answer your question. Can you tell about the days that you became a co-founder of Sandstone? Uh, I joined Sandstone in uh, s- uh, summer, uh, l- last summer, it was summer twen- uh, 2016. At that stage, uh, uh, Nazar uh, uh, did uh, quite a lot of work. Uh, um, we were at first prototypes, which uh, started to to, to getting to work like there was uh, they were almost working something was getting together uh, so yeah that was um, uh, there was some job done and uh, um, uh, when I came we started doing a lot of marketing and uh, like get, getting product to shape to be able to give it to media to get, get it out there when you joined the sandstone did you grasp the uh step that you needed to take right away or you have to figure out the strategy what should we do should we go to investors should we go uh, on kickstarter and uh, how did it go how did this planning turn out so uh, nazar had the idea that we should go to kickstarter that makes made sense made sense to me also definitely uh the thing that uh, I noticed uh, uh, like the first couple of days uh, when uh, was getting uh, familiar was what's done is um, that there's uh, like about 100 people in our email list which are all from Ukraine and there's mm-hmm. about 100 uh, likes on Facebook or a bit more and there's uh, absolutely no proofs of traction uh, and um, like the, especially in U.S. market, so the, like there's almost zero down on marketing side, uh, and uh, like the basic hypothesis um, is not tested enough. There is a product, uh, but uh, we still don't know if anybody needs it. There's some interest right. in uh, Ukrainian media, Ukrainian conferences, but it doesn't mean anything. So um, I was trying to test the hypothesis before uh, before even doing uh-huh. Kickstarter because uh, Kickstarter is expensive. Can you get more specific on that? How did you uh, test the hypothesis? How did you validate? What are your tools that you use? Okay, uh, of course. I did a lot of things which didn't bring much results. I uh, tried talking to people, uh, first Ukrainian people, but then we really tried to get on the US market. So one of the things we did, we went to TechCrunch Disrupt to talk to people. And on the email, which we sent to people with confirmation for a sign-up, we just added one line like, uh, please tell tell us why are you interested, uh-huh. and the responses we got from that like uh, got us got us a great perspective, uh, like why why people need this, and uh, that is this definitely makes sense. Then we also uh, took uh, interviews, uh, had made interviews with some of these people, and uh, we learned a bit more. So it was very open ended questions, just trying to realize uh, uh, what were the people's lives. Uh, uh, is there a problem? Why is there a problem? How are they solving it uh, uh, right now? 
and if there is enough room for us. And uh, like the first signs we saw is that there's more people like us, because it started with uh, Nazar and me having the same problem, being very forgetful and just want, wanting a very, very simple way to, uh, to, to remember stuff, to write things down, to offload what you have in your mind. Got and it. there was many more people like this. So that was uh, that was the thing that worked the most. I also did a couple of influencer marketing, uh, like Facebook marketing, things like that. But a lot of a lot of that didn't work. What was the number uh, that you? So the, okay, this is a number, and we have like this checkpoint, and it validates our assumptions. How many people should you uh, interview prior, like making decision to move forward? I think at the beginning, I, I wanted to find at least hundred people who would uh, confirm the problem uh, from the US target, uh, more or less. Uh, but we uh, ended up concluding after dozens, like uh, mm -hmm. when there was uh, a few dozen people who in some way described to us their problem, which, we, which was our hypothesis. Yeah, that's when uh, like we more or less realized that okay, it's worth moving forward. Well, the irony is that we had to move forward in any way because there was people building the product, and uh, uh, we couldn't just stop all of that. Uh, so we had to build a product and uh, test hypotheses in parallel. It's wrong, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, it's how it was. What techniques and what tools you think are wasteful? at the initial stages. So you mentioned that influencer marketing, that didn't work. However, uh, mm -hmm. on the large scale, everyone tells that you should do Facebook ads, you should do influencer marketing. Eventually you should buy a Super Bowl ad, right? But what are things that are evil for a startup uh, in the beginning? Uh, I would say one of the most deceiving things is the attention of media. So uh, media attention doesn't tell you help about your traction uh, it's nothing it's just uh it's a very different uh, <clears throat> perspective it's just uh, um newsworthy it might be a very interesting news but it might not have a business problem behind it mm -hmm. so that's a very deceiving thing if you get not enough media that doesn't mean you have a business uh, bad business model if you have a lot of media it doesn't mean uh, you have a good business model so that's a very deceiving thing. Of course, media is good. It's a good sign always. But then after you get the media, you should check how many signups you have, how many people agree to talk to you, how passionate they are about this problem, etc. So uh, then um, at the early stages of a hypothesis uh, tests, I think any way of getting your customer is good. Uh, but the, you have to remember that the end goal is to get the attention of the customer and talk to him or her and uh, in very unbiased way. That's that's actually the difficult part because even if you know about the biases, you still make them. Uh, <laughs> it's difficult. What books um, did help you to uh, avoid falling into this trap? Well, I could say that uh, thinking fast and slow could help, but you'll probably fall asleep while reading this book. It's very long. It's very resourceful, but it's very difficult to comprehend. Uh, but it tells you at least about all the biases, all, like the most popular biases that you will make and uh, give you a new perspective into thinking. So Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And, nice. uh, <clears throat> There's a lot going on in our mind, like the, the, the thing. There's so much interesting stuff to delve into. Uh, but going back, um, 
uh, going back to what works and what doesn't. So any way to get your customer, uh, to get your target uh, customer say something about the problem you're solving, uh, preferably without knowing what your product does, just uh, telling the, uh, just asking them to describe how they do that, how they do that, uh, and uh, making conclusions based on that. Uh, so uh, anyway, is good. So in influencer marketing, uh, what didn't work for us is um, we didn't get any signups. But at uh, one point, we did uh, get a lot of feedback, which was good in a way. Uh, and um, we also we also tried to get something from uh, uh, get some conclusions from media, but uh, that didn't work. Like from media signups uh, on TechCrunch Disrupt. Um, you know, what was there else? Ah, there, there was many things, but yeah, I think the basic point I delivered it. Got so. It. Just do whatever you need to do to get to the customer and then uh, be very, very open to listening. Got it. So you mentioned that you took a part in TechCrunch Disrupt. And can you share more uh, knowledge and insights about how to uh, generate demand by taking part in those exhibitions? Probably have stories from CES and other trade shows. (laughs) <laughs> funny thing is I actually don't know probably because <laughs> it wasn't very successful uh, TechCrunch Disrupt last year and this year it was uh, uh, it was okay we talked to some people um, got some couple of signups very very few signups definitely not worth it in terms of signups um, uh, but uh, I'm quite skeptical about the events, uh, about the uh, like uh, exhibitions. I've been to so many of them. Back in Alex times, uh, I spoke at a lot of events, exhibited, uh, and um, talked. So I'm personally I'm quite skeptical about the events. I think more often than not, they're a, a distraction. Um, it's the, the chances that there's your target audience in there are not that big, especially at the conferences, uh, like technology conferences. You might want to go to industry-specific conferences when there's more of your target audience. At events like this, I think it's useful to meet investors or technology partners. That's uh, that's the decent goal. Uh, But in terms of um, customer development, maybe if you're in a super early stage, like we we were... uh, when we went to TechCrunch Disrupt last year, we didn't have almost any idea of how US market would react to this. We got the first idea, but still uh, didn't match expectations, I would say. How do you manage a uh, personal disappointment when you have those roadblocks and uh, you have the results you did not expect or probably you have like high expectations? I mean, does it happen to you? It's one of the dark sides of entrepreneurship, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, which is a bit tough for me because um, I'm quite emotional, both good and bad. But um, I found a way to deal with it. Uh, for me, what helps um, when things don't work is uh, basically a voice of customer, either reading customers' emails or talking to customers. Uh, this is the thing that gives the drive and the uh, confidence that you're doing the right thing when you see the people with the problem and you have the solution you just can't get it out there because of this and that and that and that uh, that what gives you the drive to move forward and get you up uh, and running for me so um, that's my advice to other entrepreneurs Markin, what are the ingredients for a successful kickstarter campaign 
Can you share the drills that worked for you? Things to think about when you're doing Kickstarter. There's, it's, it's quite easy to break down. Um, so one, um, <clears throat> the Kickstarter page, Kickstarter video, um, pre-campaign emails generation and community building, uh, media work, embargo and uh, or device reviews, then uh, actual product uh, development to have a product ready to give out to customers, um, then uh, Facebook campaign during the Kickstarter, um, then um, all the legal work, and uh, I think that's it, mostly. Oh, there, there's uh, things like cross-collaborations, uh, uh, contests, things like that, but there's people who handle this sort of thing. So probably seven things which make a Kickstarter campaign, and a lot of time and money. So you need a budget to do Kickstarter, or you can hope on luck, but if you want to make a successful one, you need a budget. Uh, and you need a lot of time. Our weeks prior to Kickstarter, um, actually we went to CES uh, we, months before Kickstarter, and that was one of the reasons we postponed it. So we postponed our Kickstarter launch uh, about two or three times. It was one month. Uh, it, we had to do October, we did February. CES was one of the reasons. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> can say it was super crucial for Kickstarter. I think uh, my recommendation for other startups which are doing Kickstarter would be to avoid CES and uh, just do their thing and uh, focus on Kickstarter. CES is super awesome conference for uh, consumer electronics uh, startups, um, but on a bit later stage, uh, you can meet a lot of buyers from all the worlds. I mean, uh, retailers, distributors, um, you can make a lot of business partners, also investors, but I think you have to be in a bit later stage. So that's my advice. Well, that sounds pretty counterintuitive. When everyone said that you have to build up the hype to generate pre-sales. When you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because when you go to CES, you have to think about your goals. And when you have Kickstarter, you have to know uh, your shit very well, what you need to do. And as I mentioned, these seven things... Uh, they do not actually correlate with Kickstarter that much, with uh, CES that much. Uh, mm -hmm. The thing that people could think makes sense is uh, media, uh, which would co correlate. But to do the media well for Kickstarter, you have to take different approach, which is called embargo, embargoed reviews. So you have to send out to media your uh, the, um, your uh, units and. Uh, <clears throat> if you do that, it's a bit easier to get their attention. But uh, doing that still, I would recommend getting a professional in PR because that's very, 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 very difficult. Um, there's so many things that you can do wrong with PR. And I would strongly recommend getting a person uh, who can do that. I could recommend, I have uh, two good friends who do that from the US, uh, obviously, who helped us. And um, I would just strongly recommend having a P person for PR. And if you have a person and PR, who knows all the other media, you don't need uh, CS to get their attention. And in terms of cost, it will be about the same, because getting a boost is $2,000, flying in there, you need at least three, four people, don't go there with two people, we did it, it's hell, like three, four people at least, uh, and you, you need flights and hotels, it's another couple of thousand bucks, and for that money you can get a person who does PR. So when you think about it and when you know your goals right, then you know that uh, CES before Kickstarter is not that crucial. 
it's good for customer development, for partnerships, for things like that. But uh, you're not there yet. How much effort did you dedicate to uh, marketing and product development during your Kickstarter campaign? And which one of the seven steps that you described earlier worked better for you along the way? Okay, I would say 50% was PR marketing and another 50 was product development. Mm -hmm. um, so what worked, what doesn't? Um, influ uh, our goal before Kickstarter, and I think this should be goal uh, of the listeners too who want to go to Kickstarter. Before Kickstarter, you think about one thing, getting a maximum amount of emails before the campaign, <sighs> building community, communicating with those people, warming them up. So number one goal, and you should have at least a couple of thousand emails. So that's it. That's your goal. And uh, we tried, uh, I tried different ways to get those emails. Uh, influencer marketing didn't work. Um, media worked a bit. We got a couple dozen signups. We had a publication in wearable.com and I think digital trends uh, in October. We got some signups, not that much. Um, um, Oh, I remember I tried so many things. Uh, I even had some presentation about that. Um, uh, hold on a sec. What else didn't work? Um, I think uh, Reddit didn't work for me. Can't recall, actually. But I can see what did work. I think uh -huh. that's more important. Um, um, what did work was uh, finding a uh, company who knows their stuff, um, who's focused on Kickstarter uh, and uh, running Facebook ads for Kickstarter. So basically, Facebook ads worked, but yeah. uh, only with the help of uh, people who know their thing. Because I, I did run Facebook ads myself. I didn't know much about them before that, and uh, it didn't work for me. Like uh, We got some okay CDR, but we didn't got enough conversions. So that didn't work. Uh, also, oh, by the way, events didn't work. We didn't have any signups with the events. When you put your uh, perspective, when you put your goals right, then you know what works, what doesn't. So events didn't work. TechCrunch Disrupt didn't help in terms of signups. Okay. Um, so uh, I found a company. Uh, their name is Funded Today. They're a bit difficult to work with, but they do help. Uh, they uh, d did help us get uh, emails before the campaign. They. The, the way they, they have a very special uh, thing. They have Facebook groups with Kickstarter backers. So they have much cheaper acquisition cost. And uh, give some numbers. So from August up until December, I think, or maybe end of December, we got about 1,000 emails, more or less. Also tried viral campaigns. I remember that didn't work that well for me. Contests, I mean, um, so we got about thousand emails. Mm. Then when we started working with them, um, we paid them, I think, about uh, uh, five thousand dollars, and we got uh, three and a half thousand emails in one month. Mm -hmm. So that worked. That worked, and that helped. And so they converted. Is that a good ROI? It's a very good ROI because. Um, those emails, we still use them this day. So emails is your investment, uh, and they have a long-term value for you. Uh, you can um, upsell, you can cross-sell, you can ask people to give referrals, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it helped us to have a spike on the, uh, at the start of campaign, 
like we can they converted okay like they gave us a couple thousand at the start of the campaign and um, they are still working for us now so that it was a very good ROI it was basically almost like a dollar per email which I think is a very good result Okay, Explomote Nation, and this was a part one of my interview with Mark Jan Martek, the co-founder of Sandstone, a smart jewelry pendant that translates your speech into a text. It's rare that I do two-part interviews, but in this chapter we've covered only a bit of the insights and knowledge Mark Jan brought my way today. So don't waste any time no more and go to marksparkcomica.com to subscribe for part two. Hey guys, I hope you like this episode of Explore Mode Podcast. You can subscribe to the show notes and lift of strategies that I send every week. And of course, you can reach out to me directly on Twitter or Instagram. I'm open to any constructive critique of how I can improve this show that you get the more value out of it. And uh, you can tell me if I'm jackassing around or not. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned and explore.